morning, good morning. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. As we continue on in our series, what I refer to as creating a culture of evangelism. Welcome, welcome to Big Woods Bible Church. It is a delight to have you here. I know this is the time of the year it gets tough. You know, days are short, nights are long and cold, and yet we find ourselves together as family to focus on the Lord. Whether or not you came joyfully or willingly, I hope that you did, or whether or not you're a child who came kicking and screaming because mommy and daddy want you here, let me tell you this, you are here and God knew that you would be here this morning to hear this word that he has for us. And so to me, it is a tremendous sense of relief to know that God has all of this planned long before we ever even gave it thought. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We'll read that in a moment. Let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we quiet our hearts now, In this time that you have arranged for us to be together, first of all, we want to pause and express our gratitude for your grace in our lives, the many blessings that you pour out on us. We thank you, Lord, that we can worship openly and freely. We pray, Lord, for many millions of people who do not have the freedom to worship as we do. God, sustain them. Your grace is sufficient, and I would ask that at this very moment they would be reminded of that truth. Protect them. Use them. Use us here, Lord, with the resources that you have given. Help us to be wise. Help us, Lord, to understand what our role is, to live as called out ones, to be bold and brave, to be humble and sincere. Father, I pray for every single person that's here. I think, Lord, of individuals that are battling health issues or sickness and are discouraged, those that are facing surgery, those, Lord, that are overwhelmed by financial burdens or struggles or the worries of this school semester. Father, whatever it is, I would ask, Lord, that you in a unique and powerful way, would minister, but perhaps not alleviating every burden, but knowing, Lord, that you give us the strength to carry what you have called us to carry. Father, we thank you, Lord, that most of all, we stand before you forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, and we thank you for that. Bless us now as we learn, open our eyes and ears to hear from you. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. We take this time now as we do every Sunday and we focus completely. We pause, everything slows, we focus on God's holiness. And it is a delight and it is a joy to be able to do that. But I want to remind you that as we focus on the Lord We must also keep in our sights the greatest dilemma that mankind faces today. There's something actually worse than death. It is sin 
and hell and separation from God for all of eternity. We have to keep in mind that the solution, the greatest dilemma that mankind faces is not going to be met by a better economy or falling gas prices. It's not going to be met by the United Nations or the United Way or Habitat for Humanity. It's not going to be met by more education. It's going to be met one way. That is the proclamation, the clear proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only solution to the greatest dilemma that we face. That's why we have this study. That's why we're focusing our attention on creating a culture of evangelism. A culture of something, it becomes so normal and natural for us. It is second nature. We've talked about how do we do this. We have to understand first and foremost, creating a culture of evangelism means it has to be motivated first and foremost by a love for the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I regularly fall on our face in adoration to say, Lord, thank you for loving us when we are most unlovable. Offering your own son to die in our place. Create a culture of evangelism that is confident in the gospel. Paul says, just like you and I need to say every day, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We have to create a culture that is aware and understands the danger of entertainment. There's no tricks, there's no plots and ploys, hidden agendas. It's plain, simple truth. We have to see individual people. We pull together as one. We have to be willing to to teach one another faithfully and be willing to to be taught to continue to learn and grow. We saw last week that we need to create a culture that models evangelism. It happens regularly so that others know what it looks like to share our faith, to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about we we talked about celebrating those that are doing evangelism. When you see someone, pat them on the back, encourage them. May we understand that together we have a role to fulfill of of of, of disseminating and propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we move on, a little bit of a reminder of where we have been, and we talk about the fact that what we need to continue to do is recognize and celebrate how the gospel transforms a life. First and foremost this morning, we continue to create a culture, okay, that recognizes and celebrates how the gospel transforms a life. I've directed your attention to Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We know topically we're going to move a little bit as opposed to resting in one place, Paul writes to this church in Colossae and he says this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints. Last week we talked about the fact we have to actually pause and intentionally celebrate those that are doing evangelism those that are sharing the gospel. Now what we do this morning is we pause, okay, and we celebrate the full extent and the essence of the gospel, excuse me, itself. Speaking very particular about the fact that when a person, any one of us, understands and acknowledges and fully surrenders to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it changes everything in our lives. It changes our view of everything. 
Paul knew this. Paul writes and he affirms and he celebrates believers, new believers. He says what? We always thank God. We pray for you because we have heard of your faith. We've heard of the news. I heard of some news recently. I I heard that some of you in this body ran a race recently through the hills and the ridge of McElhatton, Pennsylvania, Zindel Park. I'm not a bodily function guy, and so I don't always refer to it as the exact name of that race. But to my understanding, it's a race that when the temperature drops below 32 degrees your mucus glands have an inclination to become more active. And it flows rapidly. And then it's harder to control when you're running through the hills and the ridges of central Pennsylvania. I don't quite understand why people do things like that. But I've heard, and the news goes out, some people do that. I was standing yesterday in the snow and clapping and cheering and as they run by and they look like they're in absolute misery. I turned to someone and said, is someone making them do this? Do they want to do this? I've heard of this news. I don't understand it. Paul says exactly the same thing. I have heard. I've heard about your behavior. It's different than it used to be. You have to understand when we talk about the gospel, there has to be a point to what? Where everything, everything changes. That's what repentance is about. That's what obedience is about. Paul, in a sense, does not elevate an individual inappropriately. He appropriately puts the focus on the Lord. God gets the glory. I thank the Lord for you. I pray. I've heard of this. As we create, as this becomes second nature for us, this culture of evangelism, we have to regularly celebrate a new life in Christ. And we do it the right way. We were speaking on this very subject in our home group on Tuesday night, sitting around our living room. And a young man, a relatively new believer, as we were sharing our own stories, and he said this. He said, so basically... Basically, he said, it it comes down to building relationships with other people and then just telling them our story. I said, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. You got it. His story was what it used to be, this. It was totally, it was totally godless. But now something has happened. Something has been transformed. I tell people that story. Yes, we celebrate those that are, that are doing evangelism, but we celebrate the essence and the extent of the gospel message itself. We have to do this regularly. We have to create a culture of evangelism by doing this. Secondly, today, and, and tenth in our, in our long list overall, in order to create a culture of evangelism, we also must understand that we have to step out in faith. We step out in faith and we do ministry that feels risky and is dangerous. Philippians in chapter 1. Philippians in chapter 1. Verses 12 and 13. 
This is what Paul writes to this church, another letter. He says this, and I quote, Philippians chapter 1. And I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Like Paul, we have to learn the importance of stepping out. The ministry that we do, okay, oftentimes is tethered. We have to do ministry that feels it feels odd, it, it feels scary, it, it feels risky, and in all honesty, it becomes, it, it steps over that line, and it becomes edgy. We can use the word dangerous. Paul says what? What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Immediately we are, we are, we are forced to ask the question, well, what, what, what is he talking about? What has happened to Paul? We know that later there's reference to what, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Is that all that has taken place? What has happened? That which has happened to me, well, what is it? There's a great description in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, a testimony, so to speak, of what has happened to Paul. It gives great detail, and as a minister of the gospel, as, as one who regularly shares his faith, Paul records this. This is what has happened in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 23, that with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Doesn't that sound an exact description of your life and my life on a daily basis? Shipwrecked because we're advancing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Beaten or imprisoned? Okay, to be perfectly honest, as much as I've read this, as much as I've studied, I find this hard to even wrap my mind around. I, 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 we read it. Why? Because the context of our worship here this morning, the context of our fellowship is what? Is in safety. But yeah, we have to sprinkle a little little stuff to melt the ice because we would never dare ever want someone. And we will do that, and we have to do that. It's about safety and handrails all over the place. The context of our worship and our fellowship is freedom. We're used to this. We expect this. is security and safeness and comforts. But do you realize that what we just described of Paul's own ministry happens and is happening all over the place 
Just last weekend, one week ago, 45 churches were burned to the ground in Miami, in, in Niger, Africa. 45 churches. You realize that literally radical Islamists, Boko Haram and others have kidnapped and murdered masses Entire villages and towns in northeast Nigeria within the last 10 days. Why? Because, because what? People despise and people seek to destroy the work of the gospel. And yet what? We, we come and we have stacks of Bibles. We study the Bible openly. We sing songs loudly. I'm not criticizing that. I'm not saying we don't need to be safe. We don't have to make efforts to make one another comfortable. But understand and realize what many people suffer. It has been like that. If we enjoy comfort, we enjoy comfort now. But let me tell you this, it will not always be like that for Christians. Please understand that taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, taking a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, has been, and it will be risky. It will become dangerous. People have suffered for their faith. People have gone to jail for their faith. People have been beaten. People have been killed and martyred. And we hear the stories. Perhaps you've even seen the pictures. They're hard to look at. Hopefully we stop everything right there and we pause and we pray. But in all honesty, it still feels so distant. It's a different time. It's a different place. And so we kind of move on from that moment that we see that or hear of that or read it and we move awkwardly. Not quite sure what to do. There's a lot of books out there that are challenging us to take our faith to the next level, to the next step. Make it real. Make it count. Make it cost. Make it hurt. I was just counting the books on my own shelf. Crazy Love and Radical and Risky Gospel. Not a fan. Good books. Great books. But they're books. And books get read and then they put on a, a shelf and they're safe on that shelf. How does this gospel thing stretch us today? What what are we talking about here? How does this evangelism become dangerous and risky? In the middle of this place, with all of our comfort in 21st century America. We've been learning and studying. I appreciate so much the feedback from the Q&A at the Sunday School Hour with the adults. has been so helpful. We've been dialoguing and talking the biggest reasons that people don't share the gospel. Number one, they just don't want to, which probably means what? They're not even a believer. They're not following. Another reason is what? They don't know how. Next week, we're going to look specifically at how to do this the whole week. Another reason we heard this, and I appreciate the humility of some saying, you know what? I'm afraid to do it. Someone raised their hand and said, I'm just afraid. We have to acknowledge that. So what what, what do we do? How how does this become risky? I began to think it becomes risky when a student athlete goes to his coach and says, Hey, coach, can I lead our team in prayer before we go out onto the court? 
So I feel led to do that. That's when it becomes a little bit edgy for us. That's when it becomes a little bit, what? Risky. Or we could be set apart. Well, that's what, that's what it's calling for us to do. It becomes a little risky for us when we as an employee perhaps have to tell our employer, I'm sorry, sir, but I will not write that report. I will not put those numbers because they're not accurate. And that goes against my faith as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I refuse to do that. That's when it becomes a little bit edgy for us. It becomes a little bit edgy for us, perhaps even as a, a mom at home, you bake an apple pie, you, you feel led, and you walk over to your neighbor and said, I want to give you this as a gift, and I'm going to talk with you because I've been up all night long praying for you and weeping because I don't know where you would go if you died. And I care for you, and I love you. That's when it becomes a little edgy. That's when it becomes a little risky. There's certain responses, there's reactions. What, what happens when we face, face this cultural opposition? It, it presses lightly against us, not, not intense. I was reading a great article this week, Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks, and, and he talks about the fact that there's primarily four basic responses available to Christians and churches in the face of opposition. Somebody makes fun of you, that's basically the extent of it today. Perhaps taking a stand, you could lose your job, but it's rare. What are the four responses? And, and, I, and let, me, let me share these. The first one is what? You can just lie down. You face opposition because of your faith. The first response that Lehman talks about, he says you can lie down, you can surrender or stand, you can surrender your faith, and you can just give up and say, really, I don't believe that. Let me tell you that it's always, always, always wrong to just lie down and give up always wrong. So we know that one's out. We can't do that. Another, another, another basic response is that we can lay low. It becomes so dangerous that we have to take caution in airing parts of our belief that are offensive. Now, in the context, in some senses, it may be wise to lay low. It might be the right thing to do. It's not always wrong. Another, another response, another basic response is that we can leave, just, just get out of Dodge. In all honesty, the situation may be so dangerous that, that it, it, it would be foolhardy to stay. You'll lose the witness by... Paul and himself leave certain places. Jesus walked away from certain dangerous places, not because he was afraid, but because, what, the door had closed. He goes someplace else. Leave, that's a possibility. Fourth response is this, lean in. To be vocal about your beliefs and take it on the chin. Let me tell you this, this is always right. Always right to lean in closer. When you know that you're facing a message, you're, you're facing a response that is why people don't like. You, you, we have got to learn how to do this. And so I ask, which one, where are you? You and I need to be ready to, to lean in regardless of the cost. There is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing to be afraid of when we understand and trust and believe in the sovereignty of God. There's nothing to be afraid of. Paul understood that. Yes, it cost him his freedom. But look at the results. It became known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
It results in something that's bigger. It results in something that's better. And I love how he writes a little bit later in that very book in in Philippians chapter 4. As he writes, he greets what all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household, which means what? Some people in that imperial guards came to faith because of Paul's testimony. Because of Paul's testimony. Because of his faithfulness. Would you minister at such a cost? How, how risky really is it for you right now? How safe are you choosing to be versus what? How much are you pressing and pushing the boundaries of the gospel further and further? How far out on a limb are you willing to go? Third point this morning as we continue to seek to create a culture of evangelism we have to create a culture that understands the church. Understands that the church is the chosen and the best method of evangelism. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. I love this. It describes how the church behaves, how you and I are to behave. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Realize God, God has a plan. God literally drew up a blueprint of how the gospel was to be disseminated and propagated throughout the entire world. And it was never to happen by one voice. It was to happen by many, many, many voices. The plan is this, following the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there were to be many, many voices that are speaking, that are sharing, that are serving, that are sacrificing, that are singing and loving and giving and teaching and preaching the truth. The book of Acts picks up where the Gospels leads off. And Jesus is on the Mount of Olives right before he ascends up into heaven and he speaks. You've heard this many times. I will read to you the words that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke right before he went to heaven. Very last words he spoke here on earth. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as that, as that parts of the body understands our role, immediately following that, it says that there's two men in, in, in white garments. Were they angels, perhaps? They're referred to as men, perhaps glorified saints. We don't know. And then, and then these men say this to this small group that are standing there after Jesus says this. Why are you standing and staring? Why? Jesus has just ascended. Why are you st- Which implies what? That you should not be standing there and you should not be staring. And if you're not to be standing and not to be staring, there's this what? This implication is that you're supposed to be moving. And so this small kind of group moves what? Back in, into the city proper, into the upper room, joined with about 120 others. They're praying together, they're eating together. The Holy Spirit descends and the church, this is our own history, 
The church is born. The church. The body of Christ. The hands and the feet of Christ is born. The bride of Christ. The salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. God's elect. God's building. God's temple. God's household. God's field. God's workmanship. That's you. We are what? We are a holy nation, a holy priesthood, partakers of the promise, partakers of Christ, servants of Christ, followers of Christ. We are children of God, children of the promise. We are witnesses and followers, believers. We are Christians. That's us. The church is unique, not only in our position and our calling, but when we choose to follow Christ, it means what? When we choose to follow Christ, we are publicly and verbally, we're making a verb, we are not going to follow the world. That's what it means to follow Christ. It means what? We choose to love God. It means what? That we choose not to love the world and the things that are in this world. When it comes to the church, what? You cannot have both. It means what? There is no wondering as far as why we exist or where we're going. There's no middle grounds. You become part of the church, it means you accept and you no longer reject. It means that you are in. You no longer are out. It means that you are hot and you're no longer cold. It's not only who we are, it's what we do. The last words, Acts 1, Matthew 28, we know the Great Commission, you exist to be witnesses to tell of the things that you've seen God do in your own life. We go and we tell what? Everyone to believe everything that Jesus Christ has taught we make disciples. Are we doing that? I've oftentimes wondered, if one were to take a look at the church in the 21st century, right here and right now, would it look anything like the church in the first century? Like what, what exists here now? Would it look anything? I began to make a list. The first century church, what? In a sense, they, they moved. I, I use the term, they lived amongst don't tell with that. Just it's like they were always together. They shared. They they sacrificed. They preached booming truth, radical truth. They were always upward focused, centered on Christ and the cross. They were always outward focused on people and on relationships. And then there's the 21st century church. It seems like it's difficult at times to make decisions because we move very, very slow. And then there's a stiffness to the formal church that exists in 21st century America. There's got to be steeples and bells and bell towers and stained glass and pews and pulpits and choirs and suppers and programs and appearance. And it seems to be very inward focused about comforts and neatness. So as we seek to create a culture of evangelism, I want to make sure that we align with God's plan, not our plan. But to make sure it's all about what He desires. I want us to be concise. I want us to be effective. I want us to walk and to work and to speak and to love and to live and to breathe according to the Scripture. Not our plan, but His plan. We must make sure that every single thing that we do comes back to is this the best method of evangelism and discipleship and nothing can distract us nothing should distract us from doing that 
Even as our plans, I think about plans as we're praying about, exciting about renovating an old warehouse into a worship center. I want it to be an effective tool for the gospel in this community. There will be no bell towers, I can assure you of that. There'll be no stained glass. But rather, what? A sharpened tool to increase the exposure to this community, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and the message of the cross. So long for that. I ache for that, that everything that we do focuses on sharing the gospel and celebrating those lives. I long to see what people sharing the gospel and those people sharing the gospel and those people sharing the gospel. There's so many things. This week alone, five calls. I got five calls this week. Just this week. Actually, in three days, from Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Inviting Big Woods to participate in some really good stuff that's going on out there. Prayer walks and church plants and mission trips and construction projects and and joint worship services, all kinds of stuff. I tell you what, we have to ask every single thing that we do. And there's good stuff, but we can't do everything. We have to focus everything that we do. It's got to come back to root it into the reason that we exist for evangelism and for discipleship. As part of what? The body of Christ, His church, His bride. Are you doing that? Are you living like that? Are you getting distracted by some of the noise and nonsense that exists in this world? Why do you stand staring? Why? I love how that text continues on. It'll be a very short time. It it continues on in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. I close with this. It says, Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Do, Do you realize that? In a very, very short time, just like Jesus ascended, Jesus will descend. And we want to be moving. We want to stay focused on what God has called us to do. We want to be obedient to his plan more than our own plan. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the reminder of what you've called us to do, of who you called us to be. Father, I would ask that that you would forgive us if we get focused on ourselves. Help us, Lord, to stay light and fast in this world, moving, not sitting and standing and staring. I pray that we would recognize the change that takes place in people's lives. We would celebrate the gospel and we would tell others of it. We ask, Lord, that you'd give us the ability to be obedient to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Same with.